Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guest as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Nancy. I am delighted to have you with me this morning on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I have not had the pleasure of uh, being in the room together. We've not had the uh, joy of a cup of coffee. So this morning we're having a uh, virtual cup of coffee. Looks like you've got yours too in hand. Fantastic. Um, it is a, uh, a bright and shiny but cold uh, morning in um, you know, where I'm seated here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I suspect it's probably uh, uh, cool where you're at as well, but I'm looking forward to this uh, kickoff to my day. Nancy, before we dive into our conversation, how about I just ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you, Jason. Well, my name is Nancy Williams. I serve as the co-founder and CEO for No More Empty Pots. It's a nonprofit in Omaha, Nebraska, where we connect people and resources so that um, and everyone has what they need around uh, food security. So we work in food systems um, and we work in rural and urban communities. And our mission is to ensure that uh, folks are self-sufficient and that we have uh, economic resilience and sustainability in our food systems. I grew up in a small town in Louisiana. I came to Nebraska uh, from grad school in New York to work with farmers. Uh, and I spent uh, nine years doing that. And then I switched to IT and spent 16 years doing that. Uh, and then I co-founded No More Empty Pots. And I've been serving uh, as the CEO for this organization since 2016, 
but as the co-founder, I've been fundraising and leading from the rear since 2010. Yeah. So, um, and Nancy, you and I are going to be uh, at an event uh, together here. Uh, our responsive fundraising roadshow kicks off in uh, in in Omaha in early March, and you and I are, are uh, part of the collaboration that are working on that event. Do you have any idea what you're going to talk to us about? I do not. I know that Kevin and I had a couple of conversations, but I have taken the approach that. Uh, I use my lived experience and the main topic, um, and then whatever energy is in the room and oh, what like people that. are there to guide what happens next. So I trust to be in the moment. Yes, That's how I, I like I, to work. I really like that. I um, I have thought on a number of occasions that, uh, in fact, I was just recently speaking with with someone, and we're organizing an event for later in the spring. And I was sort of, I was sort of suggesting to to Greg, the organizer. I said, maybe we should just sort of let the let the let the vibe in the room sort of uh, guide the conversation. So, um, so Nancy, we invite our guests to come on here with a big idea, or bold opinion about fundraising. We have done this three hundred and fifty plus times over the last several years. Uh, we've had our guests take our conversations in all sorts of directions. Um, what do you got for us today? So I don't know that this is a big or bold idea, but before I started working as the CEO of this organization, um, I mainly wrote grants to do fundraising. I didn't do a lot of talking uh, to people, but I realized that in order to lead the organization, um, I had to get vulnerable. Uh, I had to get in touch with my emotions. Uh, and when I did that, then I could be present with people. And when I did that, I could, I could connect their mission and what they wanted to see happen in the world with our mission and what we felt like our purpose was here. And that all of us uh, that are in this continuum of stakeholders from donors to the practitioners to people receiving um, the care and service which sometimes can be all at once, can have what we need and we can thrive. That there is so, enough for all of us. So Nancy, I have had, um, I have had that conversation, sort of the, uh, what I like to call the enoughness. I call it the enoughness conversation. It's the idea that, that, that there's enough out there. Um, and, uh, and that we just have to sort of start, we have to be aware of it and we have to sort of believe that it's there. Um, I've had that conversation with a number of my clients over the years. And I think the, the challenge that I consistently run into is the difference between um, sort of the internal narrative, like the people within the organization versus the narrative, you know, the conversation that sort of usually centers around the fundraisers and their constituents, their donors, mm -hmm. whoever else is. Um, is is that is this is this conversation today particularly important in your mind for the for that internal or that external conversation? Are we really talking about because I, I tend to think it's the former that that it's the the internal narrative that we sort of tell ourselves that there's not enough. Does that make sense? Absolutely, because one of the key components of 
leadership, I believe, is self-awareness. And when we do our work, the work is done because then we don't have to worry about everybody else. If each of us does our own work, then there really isn't much left to do but to live and engage. And when we can get over the narratives that we tell ourselves about there being a lack of, whether it's within us or around us, then we can position ourselves to tap into the abundance that is available and become more aware of what we can't see and what we can't feel when we are in those places where we make ourselves small and we are not fully connected to what makes us full and whole. Yeah, I I have to imagine, I uh, as I shared with you before, when we met the first time we were talking, uh, because uh, I have become more aware through my work with my students at the college with the food insecurity and, and food deserts and some of these other sort of conversations that you're much more privy to. You know, this is sort of the space that you're in. Um, how much of, when we're talking about that particular space, when we're talking about, um, you know, organizations that do what your organization does, how much of that conversation is driven by abundance versus the assumption that there's just not enough? Well, part of it, uh, I believe, is the construct of the institution itself. Uh, it is how the system is defined and set up because it has some actors believing that there is not enough so that we compete with each other instead of going after the real issue that puts us in that place of feeling the scarcity, because that is real. There are people who don't have enough food, who don't have enough money, who don't have shelter, but it doesn't mean that it's not available. It's just that means that it's not equitably equitably distributed so that each of us has access to it the way that we need. So it's a both and thing. When we become aware that it's not because of us that things are the way they are, but we can contribute to it, then we can start to figure out what are we contributing to it? How do we change that? So we're changing the narrative for ourselves. We're also changing the narrative for each other when we do that. So is the work that an organization like yours does, I'm, I, forgive me, I'm not terribly familiar with what you do, and please share with us, uh, you know, it, uh, unravel it as much as you'd like to, but it, it is, is as much of the work that an organization like yours does mindset change or, or, or is it, I mean, is it the, you know, food in the hands of hungry people? It's all of it. Right. Uh, one, right. <laughs> one of the things that we came to um, when we, we took three years uh, to come up with the concept of how would we fully realize what people were asking us to do uh, when they asked us to support urban agriculture uh, and policies to, to be able to grow food within city limits for uh, consumption and for sale and to have a commercial kitchen that people could rent by the hour to start and grow food businesses. We realized uh, in this research over those three years, the best way to bring that to fruition was to have something uh, similar to a food hub where all of us could see the components of the food system 
in one place and try to understand the interdependence of that and our role in each part of that and how what we did in one place affects us and everybody else in another place because it is not uh, an isolated activity. One thing connects to all the other things. And so our, our core values are education, stewardship, and sustainability because part of this is awareness on multiple levels and then helping each other learn how to do it better, uh, how to leverage and maximize the resources that we do have so that it's as circular and regenerative instead of extractive. Because when we consider the system, we consider the interdependencies and how to maximize it so that we're extracting waste and putting it back in for value. But when we do this in in isolated uh, modes, we tend to be extractive because we're not thinking about what goes into it and then what happens when we get what we need out of it. In a lot of places in how we live, um, it goes into waste and then it's, it is usually a burden for whomever doesn't have the voice or the resources to not make it a burden, which is why we have usually environmental pollution in places where people um, have lower incomes or um, the, the communities have been historically marginalized. So with food, it is the same thing. We have plenty of food in this country. We throw away about 40% of it. Uh, and so it's not about the amount of food. It's about how we distribute it, how we leverage it within the system, who deserves to have it, how we decide that. And then when we have that kind of thinking, what resources do we put into the system to make it equitable? And what resources do we extract? And how do we use the extraction? So for organizations like ours, um, we try to consider the whole and not just a component. So if someone comes to us hungry, the first thing that we try to do is make sure they have access to food. It's hard to think beyond what needs to happen right now if you haven't taken care of yourself, which goes to the self-care, self-awareness, put your own mask on, take, you know, get your needs met. Then let's think about what happens next. And so we have job training, we have educational opportunities, we have entrepreneurship support, uh, we have we demonstrate uh full cycle zero waste within the building. We connect with um other folks, partners, because we know that we don't do all of this work ourselves. We try to focus on our strengths and what we do well, and then connect to partners and collaborators that we trust that have those same set of values uh, so that we are working within that ethos and trusting that each of us is doing our best work to support each other and our stakeholders and recirculating the resources and being as regenerative as possible so that we are elevating and moving further upstream where we are getting out of the place where we have emergencies because we've planned for it and we can be responsive instead of reactive and that we are in that place of abundance knowing that it's there and how to navigate towards it. So when somebody uses the word education, you guys, you all have education as one of those core values. And lately, I've, I've some of my reading is sort of um, the reading that I've been doing is sort of making me more and more aware of what it means for the nonprofit sector to help 
to educate whomever they're saying that they're educating. Um, you know, and we have a history here in the United States and in first world countries of sort of thinking that we need to educate the poor and marginalized, you know, in terms of how that, right. I see you shaking your head. So help me. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I, and I think I know, I know so I, I, I could probably read between the lines of what some of your response to this question is, but what does it mean to be an organization like yours and really educate and who are we educating? Because in a lot of ways, it's not necessarily the people that we think it is, is it? Well, for us, re- education is a reciprocal uh, activity for all involved. We yeah. are all learning from each other all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is not us knowing all the things and bringing it into the community. It was us starting in the community as a part of the community saying, this is what we need. So how do we take what we know collectively tap into the resources that are available, create them if they are not there already, and then inform all of us collectively into what can we do authentically and support each other to be our whole selves and be in these spaces so that we all get what we need because we know we depend on each other. And it is uh, a lot of conversation right now around uh, regenerative agriculture when it really is a return to practices uh, from indigenous cultures. This is not new stuff. We right. are returning to things that have worked for centuries, but we have lost it uh, for several reasons. Um, and we've not paid attention to folks who hold that knowledge and holding space for them to be able to share that and elevate it instead of thinking that those who have gone through a formal system of education know better and are forcing that knowledge upon people when really a lot of living is about being intuitive, tapping into what you know, learning from around you, and then taking concepts because nothing is new. All of this stuff has existed in some way. We have different tools to bring it to reality. Technology is a new tool uh, to manifest the things that we have done before. It's just realized in a different way. It's the same concept, but it's just reconfigured. Um, so it is always us showing up holding space for each of us to bring what we have to the table so that we all share our voices, learn from each other. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. There is always that opportunity to learn from what we do and how we communicate with each other and how we leverage the present to ensure that we get what we need, but we are also building for what is coming after us. We're not just using things for right now. We are building for what's next. So, Nancy, uh, my guest last week, uh, when this when this when this conversation will air, uh, my my previous guest and I will have had a conversation about his his recent book called Citizens, and um, and and everything that I have been. Uh, reading and exploring and, and even in podcast conversations like this one um, really have me thinking about how much the nonprofit sector and, and fundraising practices in particular need to sort of learn how to differentiate, understand the difference between a consumer and a citizen. Uh, 
And when I sort of listen to the lane, you know, when I think about the way that everything that sort of played out and in, in the, and again, me, this is me just sort of reflecting on a lot of what other people have said and have informed my thinking, you know, industrialization is what we got out of the 19th and 20th century. And we seem to be sort of awakening that a lot of these things that, you know, generated extraordinary efficiencies are also the things that have sort of let us down. Um, you know, these industrial systems and, and, and for somebody who's, you know, in, in Omaha, Nebraska, who's in agriculture, who's talking about, you know, food insecurity and also knows that, you know, 40% of this stuff, you've got to have some opinions about that, <laughs> right? I mean, we have to stop behaving like, we have to stop behaving like, and when we talk about regeneration and interdependency, and so I'm just sort of hearing all the key words and, and sort of the story that evidently you tell and, and you use to educate, it's the same sort of story, but it's not a consumer story. Um, it's not this passive sort of sit on the couch and wait for somebody else to sort of deliver what you need. It's more of an active, um, you know, get our hands dirty and work together sort of story. Am I right? Well, I, I, that's, I think that consumers are, I think we need, may need to redefine consumers then yeah. because if you are consuming something to like, to take it literally, you yeah. are, are, are using something in some way and consuming it. Um, should you not be informed about your consumption? Um, I, I don't understand how we separate consumer and citizen. Uh, because you have access to certain things as a consumer because of your citizenship. So they need, they are intertwined. It's, right. it's, it's probably whether we recognize that or we choose to accept that awareness of the interdependence of those things. Because I don't believe in this country, you can't be a consumer without being aware of your citizenship because there are other people in other countries that don't have access to the same things to consume because of what is there and what's available to them. So to be more aware as a consumer, to be a concerned consumer, a concerned citizen, um, I think it, it, it is, uh, will bring some how should I say? It's more than awareness. Um, it brings some intention to the consumption because I think part of it is when we consume unintentionally and we don't think about where it came from, how we're using it and what happens after, um, that is that changes how we consume, I believe. I've seen people who do not care about recycling or composting and as they start to learn more about the food system and how the different components um, interact and what happens when we do things a certain way, um, both positive and negative effects, if they care enough, they change their behavior and their consumption becomes more intentional. They don't use as much single-use plastic. They have reusable things. They uh, think about what their food is packaged in, um, how they they transport the food from one place to another, where they purchase it. Do they get it from far away? Do they support a local farmer? All of these things will change. I've seen it in people when that awareness 
uh, is brought to them and they care enough to change their behavior because of the intention of that consumption. Okay, Nancy. So there's always a point. It's always about 20 <laughs> minutes. <in. laughs> there's always sort of a turn in the conversation where we get to go sort of down the enlightenment path. And all of my regular listeners know this, but that it's, it's, it's fascinating how effectively you just very profound in my mind, how very effectively you sort of transition the, this notion that my listeners are regularly hearing me talk about the difference between citizen and consumer that you're attaching to intentionality, which is a con, which is a word that I consistently run into, um, in, in some of my reading, this, this notion of intentionality. And it's one of the things that I think our fundraising community needs to begin to sort of wrestle with because I think there's, and I also tie the word, uh, intentionality. I sort of intertwine it or wrap it up with, with, with the notion of agency. I think those on either side of these exchanges. So whether we're talking about food insecurity or homelessness or whatever we're talking about the nonprofit sector doing, what I'm seeing, and I don't know that we're making sense of this, what I'm seeing is, is that both sides on the giving or receiving side of any of these exchanges, which is what we essentially do in the nonprofit sector, we exchange resources, we give away time, we give away money, we give away a myriad of things. There's a degree of intentionality. Again, this, and this, this also, Nancy, sort of loops back to the, the, implica- the, 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 the suggestion that consumers are not being as intentional as they should be. What I'm seeing is, is I'm seeing a sector that is awakening with intentionality and in saying, if I'm on the giving side or the receiving side, I'm going to be a hell of a lot more intentional about it. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? That, that, that if you're going to help me or if I'm going to help you, there's going to be an intentionality about it because I'm tired of sort of just doing it sort of at random and without giving it much thought. I think that the past few years have brought uh, some awareness uh, to we can't keep doing things the same way because there are real implications uh, to people and their existence when we just continue to do the same thing. There's not there in the same way that I talk about abundance. There's enough for everybody. The, the, The flip side of it is without certain things, we tend to exhaust some resources, uh, especially people. Um, We can do the same thing over and over. Some people spend their entire lives doing the same work over and over and never see come to fruition the change, the transformation that they want for their community. And part of that is because it's it's bigger than just what's happening here. You can have great intention and you're doing this work, but if you aren't connecting all of the other things, it's not going to make the sea change that we need to have for the real transformation. Be- and, and I say this because I came to this realization that we could work 24-7, 365 from birth to death. 80 years or so and never see anything change, but we can have uh, one year of some good, effective policy drafting 
and implementation and passage, and it will change the lives of people forever, just with a, a swath of a pin. But it is in that intention of why are we doing this? To push people to go beyond doing the things that we've always done to say, how can we we reimagine this work so that we are making a change in a different way? And that is incorporating policy, incorporating uh, different types of education, bringing in the community so we are doing this together and not from a point of knowing all of the things just because we happen to be the ones that get the attention and the relationship with the funders to make this happen. The way that I think about when I have success with fundraising, that means that I have been successful in articulating the why and the need and matching that with the person who has the resources to address that need and they have a similar why and intention to address it. So it's helping them get done what they want to see happen in the world. And we happen to have the way to do that. And the missing piece is the resource that they can bring and we work together and make it happen. That's that intentionality between the two. The the thing that we sometimes miss is that we have to make sure that we are rooted in community to truly understand the why. There are several times I have been in meetings and with people and there are grand plans and they are well-funded, but it's not real clear of the why and what question is being asked and what problem are we really trying to solve? And sometimes we are spending decades working on something, trying to get to a better outcome because we haven't articulated what the real problem is and how to get to the intention of that, getting clear about that why and connecting it to the opportunity. Is that really what some of our challenges are in the fundraising space is that we don't, we don't even necessarily, and maybe this gets back to exactly where you started us with, um, do we come to the does does too much of of our contemporary fundraising practices come to the table with that competitive sort of scarcity mindset that underlying assumption that there's not enough out there and so therefore we sort of you know I remember reading a book a number of years ago about what the sort of the effects of poverty are on our mindset the way that we see and understand the world getting to you know you're talking about behavior we sort of manifest these behaviors that just sort of um, leave us sort of a you know in a very learned helplessness sort of way, um, and so so we, so it translates into the way that we go about our work. And I've always thought about that when I'm when I'm trying to coach a development you know a fundraiser, a development officer, someone you know someone who's trying to raise serious dollars. You have to you have to know that the resources are there, even that even if you can't even necessarily see them. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think they can see them. That's why they are being competitive about it because they see that someone else has it. But instead of thinking of there is a pool that is available for everyone to tap into, they only see the part of the pool that someone else has and thinking that the only way to get it is to take it from them. It's like, no, they can have it. You can have it. Those others can have it because there's a pool that you need to tap into that 
may have this lens um, or some covering, a way that you can't see it as clearly because of our lived experiences. And what you were uh, uh, stating and I, I think alluding to is we bring our experiences to whatever we do. That includes fundraising. We are humans uh, and our prime directive is to stay safe. <laughs> so we bring all of those things with us, even in fundraising. And I had this lesson uh, very viscerally in uh, 2021 uh, when uh, we were in a cash flow uh, issue. The money was coming, but I needed some right now uh, <laughs> because of some other spending and responding to food security needs. And the need was much greater than we anticipated. And I needed some help. And we were working with a consultant. Um, and she said, just ask for help. Uh, and I was like, I can't just ask for help. I I need to have something to give them uh, in exchange for asking for help. Uh, and I'm exhausted and I have nothing else to give. Uh, and she said, you don't have to give anything. You've already done the work. Mm-hmm. You just need to reach out and ask for help. And I did. And what I asked was guidance. I explained the situation, asked for guidance, uh, got the response to, um, to you know, hold on for a couple of days. They will see what they can do and came back with a multiple six-figure um, response more than I would have even asked for in the first place. Uh, and I was like, dang it. All I have to do is ask for help. Um, but what we talked about, the consultant talked about was the cycle of socialization in my lived experience and the way that I grew up, it ha- it has always been an exchange. You do this, you get this, you do this, you get this, you do this, there may be a negative consequence. But moving into a space of abundance, you have to trust that being is enough, that if you're always intentional and doing that work, that it is more than uh, a one plus one equals two. There is an exponential synergistic effect that allows this pool of resources to open up in a much more expansive way. But we have to believe that it exists. And then we have to do the action and engage as if we deserve to have access to it. Because if you never believe that you deserve it, you never position yourself to make the ask. And then if you don't ask, how do they know what you need? And they can't provide the resources to help you. Yeah, you're thinking. I, I have to imagine the the consult the advisor you were speaking with is perhaps has wrestled with some of the reading I've recently been doing. Is this difference between the way that we can live in sort of a world of commodities versus a world of gifts? And when you think yes. in the world of gifts, yes. gifts, whereas whereas commodities are owned and consumed, where you know, like it's your commodity versus mine. You know, I've got an iPhone in my hand. This is my. But gifts constantly flow, and this this gets back to that indigenous wisdom and the wisdom of people other than the you know the the rich white men who sort of built this you know modern world that we live in that that is so much letting us down. Um, when, when we sort of learn how to sort of see and experience a world that's that's that where where gifts are sort of uniting us, where where 
Because gifts are supposed to, as I as I've read some of these authors write about what what a gift economy looks like. Gifts constantly flow, and and when a gift lets us down, when you betray the spirit of a gift, that gift is not constantly flowing. And in many ways, that's essentially what that advice you know was was given to you. Um, you were counting on a gift, and and that gift needed to come, and you just needed to be assured that you were giving a gift to someone. I mean, you were. There's a constant movement in that, but that loops back to the middle point of our conversation here. There's an indigenous sort of circular wisdom there that a lot of us in this very modern era just don't grasp. Um, and, and I think it's some of that missing piece that, uh, that sort of fits in the, in, in the story of what it means to raise money. Nancy, before I let you go, I just want to, uh, we, we've, we're sort of at the 35 minute mark and I want to, um, I want to talk a few more minutes about the upcoming event because you and I and a number of us are going to be part of the event in Omaha uh, uh, in uh, in early March. Um, but I just wanted to give you another opportunity to sort of reintroduce yourself. Tell us who you are. You said you don't know what you're going to be talking about, but perhaps maybe today's conversation has sort of just been an inspiration. Um, tell us what you sort of expect from that event, and uh, and then we'll wrap up. Well, what I expect from the event is to, um, one, learn from uh, whomever is there, because that's always uh, a, a great opportunity for me. One of my top five strengths is learners. So I'm always looking for the lesson and the opportunity to incorporate more into what we call life of this existence. Uh, fundraising um, is an odd thing sometimes uh, in that we are facilitating the flow of resources from one place to the other. And so one of the things that I accepted um, a few years ago, uh, I sometimes get whispers of things, but uh, this one showed up several times over several years and I've just accepted that um, I serve as a vessel. So things come to me because I do facilitate them going to somewhere else. I don't hold on to things as if they are mine. I accept them as um, the opportunity to be a steward in the moment. Uh, and then part of my intention every day is to be grateful and abundant and to um, ask for guidance and ensure that those resources go to where they need to go to manifest the purpose of us being here and living so that we all have what we need. So when I go to this event, what I expect is to be in a place where the energy and the spirit of that abundance and gratitude um, becomes more present and more people become more aware of what's possible when we choose to show up with that intention and to actually follow through on those actions every day, because it's a practice. The more we do it, the more powerful it becomes. And that agency is uh, that you mentioned earlier uh, is really um, accepting the power that we have and then trusting that we know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that notion of agency, I haven't figured out how to sort of own that for myself. 
unravel that a few moments. Uh, That's, 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 before I let you go, unravel that for a few (laughs) moments. The idea, because that's, that's what I mean when I suggest that both those on the giving and the receiving side of these relationships, the donor and the person, the benefactor and the beneficiary, there's just a, um, there's just a desire for agency. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have my agency in this. Am I right? Yeah, because it's an it's another way to manifest your purpose. Uh, if you are going through this this work of knowing who you are, why you're here, uh, not just going through the motions, but having some sort of awakening that you are here for a reason. You have these skills and talents and experiences for a reason. That even though you may experience things that are adverse. There are usually lessons in that that can help you get to a different place. When we start to consider that that is part of the existence, then we start to look for what's more. Uh, And then how did this come to be? What is it that makes me able to do this differently than other people? So there, there are things that when we are working with other people, we start to realize that we have a gift for. And when we are working with other people, the way that those gifts are pulled together uh, and we activate them turns into something much greater. There's a synergistic exponential impact. And for those of us who like results, that is like, oh, so how do I do more of that? And we we try to almost, at least for me, uh, gamify is like, okay, if I put this, if I put myself in the space with this person and this person around this thing, what can we do then? Um, I get excited about that because you can then start to see how that agency and power manifest. And for me, the more often I do that, the more tuning it feels like it is for me so that I get clear about this is what I bring to this experience. This is where I need to be to sharpen it so that I get better at doing it and I feel more fulfilled in doing it. And then I see the impact of that around me. Oh, well, Nancy, you've got me energized. I You got me energized just for my day. This was the, <laughs> I'm going to go grab a, uh, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here. So for, for, for all of our listeners, if you're in the, uh, if, if you're in the Omaha metropolitan area, we're going, Nancy and I, and the rest of the lineup are going to be um, part of the uh, first uh, responsive fund, fund, fundraising roadshow uh, in partnership with the nonprofit association of the Midlands. Um, Nancy, I'm delighted that we're going to have the opportunity to sit across a lunch table, um, share a cup of coffee and get to know each other and perhaps create some value and hope and, and certainly create some value for uh, everyone who's participating in the event. Nancy, it has been a fantastic conversation. I look forward to having you back. Um, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you so much, Jason. See you in Omaha. Yes, ma'am. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions 
about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.